Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Yeah, it's great to be together. Great to be back at Villas Grace. And we're continuing in our series on First Timothy, Paul's first letter to his uh, disciple Timothy on sound doctrine in the church. And today's message, and I've got a couple of slides, so I'll just give you the, I'll give you the wave when I need them up there, uh, is on leadership in the church, deacons. And I thought I'd give you a couple of famous deacons. I couldn't come up with the demon deacons because I thought that was kind of a contradiction in terms, you know, why they came up with that. But we did give, I did give, oh, go back to, oh, that's, yeah, go back to Deacon Jones there. That's Deacon Jones. Some of you might remember him, right? Remember Deacon Jones? Eh, whatever. And the next guy you should know, that's Richard Deacon from, from um, Dick Van Dyke's show. And what else was he in? Leave it to Beaver. He was Wally Rutherford's dad. Remember that? And then the next one here, oh, that's not a deacon. That's a beacon. Ah, but anyway. And the, the last deacon, Zara uh, helped me put in this morning, is somebody I, that you ought to know, and his name is Vasil Levsky. And he is, he is, uh, he is the Bogoskata Dershvada Osvobotel. He's the father of Bulgarian liberation. He's like George Washington, but he's more like Nathan Hale in that he died. So why is he up there? Well, his nickname was the deacon because he was a subdeacon in the Orthodox Church or something like that. So basically, our message today is next slide is going to be uh, leadership in the church, deacons. And we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3, um, verse, starting at verse 8. But before we get there, let's pray. Uh, thank you, Father, for this opportunity to come and speak. And I do pray that I would get out of the way of uh, your Holy Spirit. I'd get out of the way of your text. I'd get out of the way of all the other things going on, that they would see you, Jesus, and that... Uh, those that don't know you as Savior would trust in you today. Those that know you would be encouraged and uplifted and taught and uh, just, just encouraged to, to follow you and serve you as best as we possibly can. Lord, guide me as I lead us through this section of your holy Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, now this next section, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a little bit of homework or spade work first. And then we're going to go back to the text and kind of just point out things in the text, if I could. So, uh, first thing, first thing, for a deacon is an office in the church, just like an elder or, uh, you know, a bishop, Presbyterian, Presbyteros, the, uh, an office in the church. Next, next one, if you would. Uh, like elders, they're called to this office. So... Um, as uh, Pastor C probably pointed out last week, if you aspire to be an elder, you aspire to a good thing. If you would aspire to be a deacon, you do aspire to a good thing. It is an office. It's something that's appointed, and it is recognized in Scripture as such. So the next guy up here. They're not spiritually or even morally inferior to an elder or a bishop of the church. Now, I point this out for a reason, because sometimes we have this, like, social class stratification. We got, like... The guys that are white collar and the guys that are blue collar. Or you're a commissioned officer in the Marine Corps, but you're only a lowly private or a corporal or a non-com, like a sergeant or whatever. And there's a, you know, 
Well, you guys are down in the mine working, but I'm up here, and that's the way we are. So the next one, if you would, please. The reason I point this out is because some people have had this concept, and maybe it's uh, been actually exercised in the churches in the past, of that, well, you know, old Joe over here. Oh, I shouldn't have picked on Joe. Let's pick on some other name, like, you know, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> you know, no. We'll, we'll use a Hungarian like Ignatz, okay? So he's not, he's not really up to snuff to be an elder, but you know what? We like to keep him around, so let's make him a deacon. Now, I want you to understand this, that it's not supposed to be that way according to the Word of God and to God's plan, that if you're appointed to this elder, your qualifications and requirements and character qualities and characteristics should be just as high as an elder. It's not something, well, you're subpar, and you're not quite cutting it, but so we'll make, you a, we'll make you a deacon. No, that's not the way it is. It's an office in the church with its own place and position. Now, there's also some confusion about his role in the church, his and her. <laughs> we'll hear that in a minute. You know, His and her role in the church as a deacon or, or deaconess. And um, as an aside, I didn't put this in my notes, but as an aside, we had this like three-year thing going on at my church up north about talking about whether there really were deacons or not. And that's enough. We won't go there. Okay? And so we ended up having deacons. So the reason this confusion comes is because of the terminology that's used, the vocabulary, and also the second thing is Acts chapter 6. Now, the first thing, we'll talk about the terminology. We have the next slide, if you would, please. Now, here's the deal. The word deacon, deacon comes from diakonos, uh, the verb diakono, diakoneo, diakonia. Now, let me break these down. There's a verb. That's the action. Diakoneo. That means it's a verb that you'll find pretty commonly in, in the New Testament to serve. Uh, it means to serve, to wait on somebody, to wait on tables. In ancient Greek uh, context, it meant, you know, like to, to wait on the Lord and Master, to wait on uh, folks in, in the pagan temples, all this sort of, that's the action. And it's also to assist. It's to assist, and um, you'll see the verb show up in the noun form as far as being an actual official, sometimes an official in the pagan temples. So that's when we get to this word, diakonia. That's the word, it's a noun, it means service. So, you know, we talk about military service, or we talk about this service, things that you do. That's the word to, for service, and that's pretty common in the New Testament. And uh, you find that both verb and noun, you see Jesus you know, says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And the complaint made, you know, he says, Martha was busily engaged, uh, and Mary was sitting, listening, and Martha was in her service. So you'll find that fairly commonly. And then lastly, you'll find the noun. That's the one in big capital letters, diakonos. And that is, well, what is that? Well, you'll see that fairly commonly as well. It's a servant. It's a person that does something, but it's the same word that we use for deacon. And as you can see, it's one of those Greek words that, uh, like baptism, like episkopos for episcopal, presbyteros for presbyterian. They kind of got lazy and decided, well, let's not translate it. Let's just stick some English letters on it and make it into a noun, diakonos. That's it, a deacon. So that doesn't really help you much. Now, the second thing is Acts chapter 6. So let's go to the next one. And if you have your Bible or your Palm Pilot, do they have those anymore? 
or anything like that? Whatever you got, you know, turn on your flashlight, get out your Bible, uh, look at your, look at, you know, don't play a game, uh, whatever. Look at your computer and look up Acts chapter 6. Now, uh, the, the church had just started, and there's a fairly familiar passage you're probably aware of. At this time, the disciples uh, were, were increasing in number. A complaint developed on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because the widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. This is from the NAS version, not my own, by the way. So, you know, you know the, you kind of know the scene, I think, that there are these Jews come to Christ as Messiah, and there are these Hellenistic Jews. They're, they're still Jewish, but they've, they've, they've kind of adapted more Greek ways, speaking Greek and customs and so forth. Well, Go back to that last, last one if you want. They were being overlooked in the daily serving of food, okay? So here the, the, the Greek Jews, the Hellenists, were saying, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, you're serving us last, and we're not, getting as much, we're not getting as much food. It's not fair. It's not fair. So they were complaining. So next, next slide, please, the text. So the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, look, it's not desirable for us to neglect God's word to be serving tables. Instead, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. So we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so the last, we'll finish it up. And then we'll may go back to some of those verses. The announcement found approval with the whole congregation, so they appointed Stephen. That's the one we pretty much remember all the time. He came first. A man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timion, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And they brought these men before the apostles. After praying, they laid their hands on them. Okay, so let's camp there for a minute. Question. Are these men deacons? Well, yes and eh, no. It's hard to tell from the scripture because of the way the words are used. If go all the way back to verse 1 of that. Acts section, if you would please. If you see that, you see that all the words are all here. It says the Hellenistic Jews were complaining about they were being overlooked, neglected in the daily serving of food. Diakonia, that's the, that's the word. So next, next section. So what did the apostles say, the 12 apostles, that's uh, their remaining 11, and um, Matthias, who's replacing uh, Judas Iscariot. They said, look, it's not desirable for us to neglect God's word, to overlook it, in order to serve, that's the verb, diaconeo, you know, to serve tables instead. Look, you guys, get your act together. Let's appoint some men to see about serving uh, other people. And we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry. See that word ministry? That's the same word, diaconeo. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the service of the word. So you see all these serves in here. And let's finish it up. And then you'll see that what they did is they, they appointed these men. Notice they're all Greek names, Jews, both Greek names. And as you follow on with the rest of the story, you remember shortly after this, uh, in the same chapter, Stephen is arrested. The following chapter 7 of Acts, that's when he gives his gospel speech and is executed, the first martyr, first uh, uh, Christian to die for faith in Jesus. So... Are they deacons or not? Well, on the upside of it is, this is the early church. This is the early church. Um, these guys are appointed. Uh, so, yeah, 
On the downside is it's kind of confusing about the words and so forth. But let me say this about that, that we're going to talk about 1 Timothy chapter 3 right now. And at least in 1 Timothy 3, deacons are, are talked about, taught about, mentioned, um, not, not in Titus, as the elders are both in Timothy and Titus, but just there. And, and of course, if it's in Scripture at least one time and discussed, then that makes it no less valid than if it was there 50 times. So, next slide, if you would. Uh, here's the thing about is what is clear. It seems clear from Scripture that there are deacons, that what does an elder do? An elder rules or oversees the church. I'll mention that uh, word rule again in a minute. It's an uncomfortable word in the United States of America because nobody likes to talk about being ruled. You know, that's, that goes back to totalitarianism and back to the monarchies of Europe and that sort of rule. But that's what the elders do. They rule. They oversee. They run the church. Where are the deacons? Why are they there? They are there to serve, to help, and assist the church. And that leads me to my main point. I think it's, this is, I only have one point for you. You can mark down the other things if you want. But that a deacon is to serve as Jesus served. A deacon is to serve as Jesus served, just as the elders lead as Jesus led. Now, we're finally ready for 1 Timothy 3. So if you'd like to turn back there, if you would, please, to the scripture, okay? And I got my little cheat sheet here, various words and so forth. You'll see some of their characteristics as we talk about them. Deacons likewise, and I cut out kind of the superfluous verbs that aren't really in the original, and then I just kind of try to make it fit, okay? Deacons likewise, men of dignity, not insincere, not turning to much wine, not greedy for money. Let's look at a few of those things. A deacon is to be semnus. That's man of dignity, temperate, sensible, only used one time, and there's three other kind of related words. I've pointed out when I've spoken before, and I think probably others have, that Paul would often use very unusual words, and sometimes he would even make up his own. So rather than being a challenge, that's kind of an exciting thing because, you know, it gives flavor to the Scripture. It's not all like vanilla, right? So a deacon is to be temperate, is to be sensible, all righty? A deacon is to be not insincere. The word is dilogos, not to be double-tongued. It's only used once in Scripture. Now, double-tonguing in brass instruments is, you know, when you, when you do it once, you go... Now, Steve can do this a lot better than I can. But when you double-tongue, you go... Now, that's not what this double-tonguing is, but I just thought I'd have a little fun anyway. Uh, but, but maybe it, it does give some bit of an illustration. Double-tonguing is, is, you know, both sides of the mouth, speaking out of, you know, saying this here and saying that here. I believe, you know, how different countries have their own uh, official languages, well, I think this is the official language of everything in a 50-mile radius of Washington, D.C. So that's what double-tonguing is. A deacon is not supposed to be that way. A deacon is not supposed to say this and this and a deacon is like an elder or like another believer. And you'll, we'll get to that at the very end, what, how this applies to us. It is to be our word, our yes is yes, and our no is no, and no, no messing about with that. A deacon is to be not turning to much wine. This is kind of uh, interesting because 
Pastor Steve probably talked about it in Timothy for the elders and also mentioned in Titus. They're also not supposed to be boozers. But that's kind of the word. It's a one-word noun for the elders. You could translate it not beside wine, but basically it's a one-word noun that means, you know, if not a drunkard, a boozer, you know, somebody that likes to get a case at the weekend, not doing that. Now, it's a little bit more specific for deacons, and it's only here because deacons are only here. It says don't turn too much. That's the verb there. Don't turn to. Don't give attention to much wine. So temperance is moderation in all things. And at this time, wine was consumed as a, as a part of one's diet. And Paul recommended to Timothy later in the book to use wine for his stomach's sake uh, because maybe the water was poisoning him and that sort of thing. But there's a, there's a balance here between someone who does that and someone who turns to wine all of the time. We had an elder up north. I won't mention the, the context if it was even my church, but he did resign. He felt convicted by the uh, Lord to do that because he really got into beers, you know, collecting beers. This beer's from Albania and this beer's from, you know, Kazakhstan and that sort of stuff. And he felt the Lord was convicting him that this became an obsession with him. Not the alcohol necessarily, but even, even the just turning to it and paying your preoccupation with it. That just goes to show you that sometimes we'll focus on the object or item, like the bottle of booze, and not the concept or the idea. Because you could have that some sort of obsession and addiction to something else like collecting Beanie Babies or Longenberger Baskets or I don't know what, you know. So at any rate, don't turn to much wine. Don't give that kind of attention to it. Not greedy for money. This is only here, and then it's in Titus uh, chapter 1 for the elders, and then you'll find a kind of a related one in First Peter 5. And that's this word. I've been concentrating on Bulgarian lately, so I've got to look at my Greek. Aiskronkedris. Now, back half of that word is the word gain. Okay? Gain. And that's not a bad word. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul later said, he says, whatever things I had I, as gain, I counted as loss, that I might gain Christ. So it's gain. But the front half of the word is the word for shame, shame, and it's a shameful gain, greed, greedy. The old King James used the phrase filthy lucre, and as a kid, I understood what filthy was, but I could never get a hold of lucre. I thought that was a card game of some sort, but, you know, filthy lucre, but the point is there, not greedy for money, not like on the cartoon, was it Scrooge McDuck that had the dollar signs that would always roll? Or am I remembering wrongly? You know, the dollar, you know. Not greedy for this gain. Not, you need money and you need to use money, but not greedy for it. Next, next uh, verse, please. Holding to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. I actually think better, and I don't know why I didn't put it there, a clean conscience. Because if you look at the word, it's, it's the same word to purify or to clean. Why do I say that? Well, that's because other than Jesus, I know of no other human that lived that would have a completely clear conscience. 
every single one of us has something in our conscience that's convicting us that we've got something to be guilty or shameful about, right? Well, the Lord Jesus cleaned that. He's cleansed that. He died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, to pay for all of those things. And he's, he's wiped those things away and cleansed our conscience. And that's the kind of conscience that an elder should, I mean, a deacon should have. Holding to the mystery of the faith with that clean, purified conscience, bought by the blood of Jesus. And if you don't have a handle on that, and I keep, we keep banging on that here, please ask somebody because that's the most important decision that you can make in your life, that you must make, is trusting in Jesus as Savior. So, clean, uh, with a clean conscience. So these mu- uh, men must also first be tested and then have them serve as deacons, repeats itself, if they are irreproachable. They, they must be tested. I think I've preached before in Romans or other passages about dokimazo, about testing. It's testing to prove. Testing for approval. I think of, because I'm a Mopar nut, of Chrysler, and I looked it up, they still have it. They had the Chelsea Proving Grounds in Michigan, outside of Detroit. The Proving Grounds. Why? What do they do? Well, they take all the cars and trucks out there, and they run them through mud and up and down hills and you know all that kind of stuff. Why? They are testing them for a view of approval. Why? Because they want to make money. And you can't make money if you're selling crap cars that always fall apart. So you take things out there and you beat them to death and then you see how well they hold up and if they don't hold up well enough, then you fix this or that. So you do that testing to prove or approval. That's why God tests us. Same with the deacons. They must be tested so that they may receive God's approval for his service. Does that make sense? Hopefully it does. And they can serve as deacons if they are found as uh, irreproachable. It's one of those alpha privatives with the A in front that makes it non, like atheist, atonal, you know, amoral. Well, that's the word. I won't read it for you. But it means to be blameless, not to be called on account, in account for something. That's the way the deacons should be. Okay? Now, next verse. And here we get a little discussion. Women likewise, dignified, not slanderers, but clear-minded, faithful in all things. Question, are there our deacons, male deacons? Are there female deacons, deaconesses, or in our gender-neutral society, a deacon, I guess, I don't know. Like now they call women act. Actors and actresses, they don't say that anymore. They say actor, I guess. Anyway, are there women deacons? Well, firstly, the words I mentioned about deacons and the office, they did represent an official, an official in a temple, like a pagan temple or this or that, even before the days of Jesus. And they were used for women in that context, okay? So they were used for that. Secondly, um... There are, and, and Steve has expressed this well, um, there are instances where women do shepherd in the church. They pastor, if you want to put it that way, because women are effective in shepherding other women. Pa- you know. So can a woman be 
in, leader, in uh, leadership that way. So, yeah. Uh, and historically, that's my third thing, there have been women deacons in early church history onward. And then Phoebe, remember, I think it's Phoebe who's, and I didn't write the verse down, was referred to as a deaconess in uh, Romans chapter 16. Yeah, I forgot to write that down. But uh, So at any rate, there probably are women, at least I feel, women deacons or deaconesses in the church as an office of the church. Now, what everybody uh, or some people like to do is immediately throw up problems. Oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, does that mean it's the husband and wife as a deacon and she's automatically a deaconess? Eh, I don't know if you can say that, you know. Oh, does that mean that we have deaconesses, women and wives working with other men's husbands you know, or deacons? No. That means that she's serving as a deacon in her area of responsibility and doing her thing, and he's, he's doing this over here. Does that make sense? You know, you don't pair them up like some kind of couple skate, couple skate, you know. So it doesn't have to be that way. So are there women in the church that can serve as deacons in that office? Yes, but they must uh, meet some qualifications uh, and requirements and characteristics. And what does it say here of them? Likewise, dignified, that's that same word, semnus, only with the feminine ending, to be temperate and sensible, not slanderers. Now, here's a kind of a cool thing. The word for this is diabolos. Does that sound familiar? And you guys that watch the old Western films and they go below the border to Mexico, el diablo, senor, el diablos. This word is used about 38 times in the New Testament, and about 36 of them, it's used for who? It's used for the devil, the old scratch himself. It's used for Satan. Why? That's because one of his characteristics of what he does is slander. He accuses the Christians before the throne of God, and Jesus says, they've been forgiven through my blood. So anyway, a woman is not supposed to be a slanderer, not diabolos. It's this form is only used twice here and in Titus. And it's used um, Titus of older women that are not supposed to be slanders. So what's he trying to say? They're not supposed to be malicious gossips. They're not supposed to be slanderers. They're not supposed to be accusers. They're not supposed to be, men aren't either, but, you know, in past culture especially, they used to talk about this. That's not, if you're going to be a deaconess, that's out. But they're supposed to be clear-minded, faithful in all things. That clear-minded is, again, temperate, sober, only used several times, and it's used in Titus as well. Now, next passage. So we get off women, and you can discuss that if you think, eh, I think he's wrong in the whole deaconess thing. Well, you know, and my wife said I could say that. But <laughs> next, next passage. Deacons must be husbands of one wife, Managing children well and their families. Now, this is one phrase, and I've got a real biblical scholar. We have to go back to the verse after we show him. Um, next, everybody knows this Bible scholar. Next slide. There he is. Yes, yes, the famous Bible scholar. You old-timers can get who he is. <laughs> he wrote the theme to the Johnny Carson show, my brother informs me, and so he made a million off of that. He wrote the most selfish song in human history, I did it my way. That's Paul Anka. Well, the reason I brought him up is because it kind of illustrates the phrase. He wrote a song. It's opposite, but illustrations there anyway. Uh, you know, 
You're a one-man woman. You're a one-man woman three times. You're a one-man woman, but I'm a two-timing man. Well, he's talking about a one-man woman. Well, go back to the text, if you would. Uh, deacons must be husbands of one wife. And it's similar, but a little different for the elders. But the phrase here is one woman man. So what does that mean? Well, a couple of things. Think of the history involved 2,000 years ago. Uh, polygamy, that's still practiced in some parts of the world today, and even in places like <laughs> Utah, <laughs> you know, more than one wife. And it was in the Old Testament, it was never an approved thing, but there were even kings and others that took more than one wife. He's saying, and this is true for elders as well, but deacons are supposed to be a one-woman man. Now, do you want to press that as far as to say if their wife dies, they can never remarry uh, or anything like that? No, I'm just saying it, saying this is your woman, your wife, your one wife, and that's it. No promiscuity, no other marital relationships with any other women here or whatever. You're committed to her. She's committed to you. You're committed to her like Jesus is committed to the church in Ephesians. You'll see that. Okay, does that make sense? All right. Managing children well and their families. That idea of managing, I looked up the verb, in most other appearances, it's only like eight times, it's the idea of leading or taking the lead or ruling. So in this sense, a deacon is also a ruler. Why? He's been told to lead and rule his family well. That's what a deacon is supposed to do. So, uh, last verse, for those who have served well as deacons, is that service again, obtain for themselves a good standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, what will I close with? You're thinking, as we close, a little reminder here, okay? Get this truth in your head, and then you'll have the truth in a nutshell. Uh, what do we want to take from this? Well, you talked a lot about deacons and their qualifications and their requirements to be a deacon and all these things. But you know, the characteristics that you see for a deacon are good for all of us as well. If you're a diabetic, you've got to avoid sugar. But you know what? It might be a good idea to cut down on the sugar, diabetic or not. If you understand my, you understand my meaning. What's good for a deacon is good for us as well. You see some of these characteristics we've been talking about? Our, our dignity, our sincerity, are we double-tongued? Are we turning our attention to, to things that could be harmful? Turning our attention, are we, are we greedy for money? Oh, I gotta skip church this week, not because it, it, you know, I'm called into the ER and someone's bleeding to death, but I gotta skip church because I can pick up another shift and make a whole bunch of money. Are we greedy for these things that that, that we, don't we think we need but don't necessarily need? Are we, are we temperate? Are we clear-minded? Are we gossipers or slanderers or accuse others? Are we these things? What can we learn? We can learn that what is good for a deacon in characteristics and qualities is good for all of us. So think about some of those things. And um, as you remember good old Vasil Levsky, Father of Bulgarian liberation. That's why I, uh, not him, he's Paul Anka, but I, 
I put that up there. That'll be gone for a month, and I'll be working with uh, the family I work with over there, and I support. They work with orphans, particularly gypsy orphans. So we're going to be working in a camp the first week, and the other parts, I have no idea. So might disappear into the jungle for a while. But it's been great to be here, and I do pray that you'll stay around and talk as I close us in prayer, okay? Thank you, Father, for this day. We thank you for um, your church, the body of Christ, and you cared enough to send Jesus. To Jesus came and died for us, but also you cared enough to organize things and give us direction and guidance with elders and with deacons. And I pray that we can take something home from this as we consider what our church structure, our local church is like, and the characteristics and qualities of a deacon, that we might look at those and say, well, I may not be a deacon or a deaconess, but Lord, how do I stack up to that? Am I a gossip? Am I malicious? Am I sober and clear-minded? Am I temperate? Am I those things that give glory and honor to you, that give you praise? And we'd like to give you praise this morning, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done for us and ask your blessing as we dismiss in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.